So, there we have it. Again. Um, so as, as um, I always do, these, when I teach, it's mostly about what I have struggled, do struggle with. So these are just kind of really appropriate for me, and Terry will tell you that. Uh-huh. That, you know, when I write these things down, it's, <clears throat> these are things that I struggle with that I want to get better at. And um, I was a while back wondering, you know, want, you know, praying to God, asking, you know, I just want a better relationship with God. Um, I want the best relationship with God. Um, I want to, and, and I said, I want a supernatural relationship with God. And then I said to myself, self, is that up to you? to have a supernatural relationship with God? Is that on me or is that on God? Who's that on? Is that on Cliff? Let's put it on Cliff. That's on Cliff. <laughs> if I act bad, it's, on his, it's his fault for not teaching me right. How's that? Um, so is it, and so I started digging into this. Is it up to me and you, I mean me for me, you for you, to have a supernatural relationship with God? How far can I go if I keep saying yes to Jesus? How far can I go? How far are we supposed to ask to go? If I keep saying yes to God, if I keep saying yes to Jesus, how far can I go? So, um, I don't, I tell lots of stories, and um, I don't know if I've already told you stories, but... The good news is, I was flipping through my Kindle reader, but it's on my iPad, so it's not technically a Kindle. I was going through my library, and I'm like, huh, I wonder what this book is. So I started reading it. Well, I already read it. I read it like three or four years ago, and it was all new. My heart's pumping. It was exciting. It was a spy shoot 'em up book. So, my theory is this. If I've already told you stories, you're probably more like me, and you forgot them. So I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna go ahead and tell you stories and just bear with me and be excited. Sit on the edge of your seat if I've if you've already heard some of these. So, um, so uh, I grew up in northern Michigan, um, up in the Upper Peninsula. So Upper Peninsula and then you know Canada and then all the rest of you people. Um, and I grew up. We were my family was staunch Unitarian which means pretty much anything goes. You can say or do or be anything that you want to be. The tree can be your God. Anyway, staunch Unitarian. Um, I always knew there was a God, but I, that's all. I mean, that's, that's it. The rest of it was really mysterious and kind of creepy to me. Um, but I always remember talking to God. I'd go, I'd go find a one of my favorite trees to climb as a little boy, and I'd climb up the tree and I'd talk to God. And my parents encouraged that. They weren't discouraging. They, the whole Jesus thing, they just never told me anything about. And um, so uh, I remember getting the call, or my parents telling me that we're going to move to Oklahoma, and I didn't even know where Oklahoma was. I had to, I had to, go, I had to go look it up in the... Um, in the Encyclopedia Britannica. We had a whole set, so I went to O. 
Oklahoma? What the heck is that? So we moved here when I was 13 years old. It was just, we, we, we had a 1966 Mustang that we bought brand new. Remember the 66 Mustang? It ended up being my first car. I had to buy it from my parents for 500 bucks. So I got this 1966 Mustang uh, that we're driving to Oklahoma from Michigan with the, my sister and my mom and my dad and a sheepdog who was the, no air conditioning because it's Michigan and the sheepdog goes and just soaked we were just soaked in the back seat so we arrive we arrive at I-40 in Meridian well this is a real rabbit hole I'm going down but it's fun anyway we arrive at I-40 in Meridian and my sister and I have been fighting the whole time I'm 12 probably 12 13 years old and we and I hop out onto the pavement, barefooted. <laughs> and I'd never felt that in my life. What in the heck? I mean, in Michigan, summer lasts all two weeks. <laughs> and I hop out, and my dog runs out to the, to the scrub that's right on the curb over there. I'm like, ah, 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 and I run over there, and then there's just stickers. <laughs> And I'm like, what is this place? My feet are burning. Now I got stickers. And the rest of the day, I'm picking stickers out of my poor sheepdog. Anyway, that was Oklahoma. I don't know how I got on that one. Anyway, so uh, immediately, um, you know, Michigan was a little bit sleepier than Oklahoma City. And at 13 years old, really started getting into trouble. Actually, I take that back. I did not get into trouble because I was really good at not getting caught. But I was doing behaviors that would lend to trouble had I gotten caught with the drinking and, and drugs and, and like this. And um, uh, went away to, to college when I was 17 years old, went up to Colorado School of Mines and really started the partying. And they implemented a drug testing program up there at Colorado School of Mines in 1977 where we would test any drug that was out there. <laughs> drug testing. Anyway. So it was kind of spinning off and I mean it was, it was all we did was you know I raced on the ski team and played tennis and we studied uh, and and then just party and that was it. Um, came home uh, that summer when I was uh, just turning 19 years old and was going to go out partying and my friend said, hey, let me talk to you. And he told me about Jesus. First time I'd ever heard that about Jesus being son of God. And it just instantly took him like, why didn't I, haven't I heard this before? This is really cool. And so I accepted Jesus at 19 years of age and my friend discipled me the whole summer, uh, went back to college, Colorado School of Mines on fire, going to win the college for Jesus, um, got one of my roommates who happened to be Jewish and led him to the Lord, and then started thinking about, oh man, maybe he's one of the ten in Revelations. Of the... <laughs> anyway, I didn't know much about anything, 
and didn't didn't go to church, didn't get in with any other followers of Jesus, and you can see what happens. Entropy, second law of thermodynamics, just, I just kind of devolved back into partying, and it was awful. It had been a whole lot better that I never knew any of this stuff than, to, than that, and um, came back from uh, college that next summer, avoided my friend like the plague who led me to Jesus, went to a three-day party, after the first night, I'm just like, this is just awful. I'm driving home. The engine of my truck melts down. I spend the rest of the day trying to get my truck back to Oklahoma City. I got to rebuild an engine, and it's just this was just the pits. It was awful. So I go into my my room and I just start yelling at God that this this is awful. This is terrible. Why did you even do this? If this is how it is. I was much better off just living my life the way it was. And after I got over the being, you know, yelling at him, then I was just pleading with him then. I think that's like steps of grief or something. Anyway, um, so then I'm pleading with him. I'm like, God, you got to talk to me. What is the deal? This is awful. I was much better off before. And so I think they actually teach this in theology schools like that Cliff goes to and stuff where I got my Bible out and I go, God, you got to talk to me now. And I pop it open. And I actually think there's a course in that. I think it's legit. Um, so as it turns out, in God's mercy, um, it, my Bible opened up to 1 Samuel where uh, Saul was uh, commanded by uh, Samuel to wipe out the Amalekites, um, everything, all the, everything, wipe them out completely, all the livestock, all the people, children, everything, which is real Old Testament. And um, so Samuel figures out that he didn't. He, he, Saul kept some, he kept the best of everything and he kept the king alive. And and Saul said, but, but I was doing this so I could offer it to God as a sacrifice. And this is what I read when I popped that book open, tears in my eyes, angry, in despair. And it says, this is 1 Samuel fifteen twenty two. But Samuel, Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. So that really affected me, that to obey is better than sacrifice. And I always thought that early on that my relationship with God required tremendous sacrifice. And this just put me back on my heels. So I, I stood up and I gave God 30 days. <laughs> I'll give you 30 days of obedience. And if it's not better, I'm going my own way. and You can go your way, but I'm, I'll give you 30 days of obedience. And if I mess up, I'll confess my sin like you tell me to do, but I'll just give you 30 days and that's it. Well, that was nearly 40 years ago. I'm still going on that 30 days. <laughs> Um, of, of seeking God. Um, and it's extremely unlikely that I'm standing up here today before you in the place that I am married to a wonderful love of my life and have the chance to help millions of people out through Water 4 
Um, but since that, that day in 1979, um, I've always looked for opportunities to say uh, yes to God. That was the deal. I wanted to say yes to God in everything that I, that I tried. I'm just going to try to say yes to God. That was part of that I want to obey. And I, I, I mess up. Well, I don't know. Do I mess up, Terry? Anyway, I mess up, um, but I try to get back on the track where I can look for opportunities to say yes to God. Um, Paul writes um, in Ephesians chapter 3, if you want to zip over there, um, Ephesians chapter 3, um, verse 14. Cliff went over this the other day. I was really happy that every now and then some things that I think are, that I study, I'm actually right on it sometimes, assuming Cliff is right. This is Ephesians chapter 3, 14. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and earth derives his name. And I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with the power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have the power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know that this surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the measure of all the fullness of God. So Paul's pr Paul prays that we might be strengthened by the power of the Spirit so that um, Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith and that we might have the power. He, this is really weird to me. He's praying that we might have the power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ for us. Why does Paul so desperately want us to know how much God loves us? That's what he's saying in this. He's begging that we have the power to understand how much God loves us. What, what's the deal with that? I thought we're supposed to love God, and we're supposed to have the power to love God and, and do all that. This is kind of backwards. Why does Paul want us so badly to know about his love for us is it so that we might become everything that Jesus wants us to become? Is that, do you think that might be it? Um, the, um, uh, John writes uh, in John 10.10 10, that the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Um, I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly or have it to the fullest. And to me, that doesn't make any sense. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that you may have life and have it to the fullest. So I studied that because there's two different thoughts to me. Um, and so there was this dude named Irenaeus, and he lived in the... Uh, In a, he lived in like 102 to 130 or something like that, which isn't the first century, which just baffles me. How is 100 not the first century? I don't get it. I, and that's some of the things that Terry and I always, she just shakes her head. 
Um, so anyway, um, Irenaeus was discipled by this dude named Polycarp. All the good names are gone. Irenaeus, Polycarp. <laughs> anyway, so Polycarp was discipled by John, like John, who wrote John and Revelation. And so Irenaeus was just like second generation, third generation, third generation from Jesus. So, I mean, it's pretty fresh, this teaching. And Irenaeus writes about John 10.10, 10, that the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that may have life and have it abundantly. He writes that the glory of God is man fully alive. That's what he writes about that, that the glory of God is man fully alive. God gets joy out of us living our lives as we should live our lives fully alive. Which to me is super encouraging. Now, I want some of that. How do, I, how do I get that? How do I live that fully alive, abundant type life? Um, in Ephesians 3.12, just above where we just wrote, it says, In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence that we have the ability that we're supposed to approach God with freedom. We're supposed to approach God with confidence. We're supposed to run to God. And I think he's okay with a little 19-year-old boy yelling at him because I was running at God back then. I was literally running at him. Now, I had a bat in my hand, but I was running at him with freedom and confidence I'm sure he's up there just, I don't know that it's up there, out there. How's that? Anyway, um, so what does, what does the, all this get us um, when we approach God with freedom and confidence, that we, when we're living our lives fully alive, what does that get us? What does that yield? And I think it really yields relationship with Jesus. I think that's what he's after is our relationship with him every day. Um, that, that abundant life. Um, in Ephesians 2, 10, Paul writes that we're God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Ephesians 2, 10. Deidre, who's preaching this morning, I think, pretty sure. Anyway, um, Deidre translates that workmanship as work of art, that we're God's work of art created in Christ Jesus to do good works, created to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. He knew we were coming. He knew our time was right now. He prepared in advance for us to do stuff, which is terrifying in one respect and comforting in the other. Um, in John, uh, John writes, uh, Jesus says, John writes what Jesus says in John 14, 12, anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing and he'll do even greater things than these. So to do what Jesus was doing and to do greater things than what Jesus said, what Jesus did, that's what he's telling us. Is that the supernatural relationship that I'm looking for? Is that doing what Jesus did when, with his time on earth and even greater things than those? 
is that the supernatural relationship that, that I'm seeking? I think I'm getting close. It feels like it. Um, to do even greater things than these. Um, so fast forward to 2003. I think it's 2003. I'm really bad at that. If I journaled like you're supposed to, I'd probably just look in my journal. journal. Anyway, um, so fast forward to 2003. Um, right just before that, I get a phone call. In fact, I get a phone call on 9-11-2001 that my parents are moving back to Oklahoma City. And I would lived in the same town with my parents since I was 17. And it sounds like I have a bad relationship with them. I didn't. It was just... It was a stoic relationship. It was just, it was, they loved me, they cared for me, they adopted me. Um, but it was just real, just, they cared, they'd do anything for me, but it was just not warm. And I, I credit that to probably I was, since I was adopted, and I've spent the first three months in a stainless steel incubator, and they just gave me stainless steel tools to play with. I think I'm not a warm, cuddly person. <laughs> so my daughter comes up, oh, daddy, daddy. And I go, what is she doing to me? Why is she doing this? Anyway, um, so fast forward. Well, I'm just getting on rabbit holes today. I like it. Um, so my mom comes down with cancer in 2003. And my dad... Um, explicitly told us that, look, I know your faith is big in God and everything, but I don't want that in my house. There's enough stress already. I don't want that in my house. And I hope that you'll not do that. I hope that you uh, obey my desires. And I'm like, yeah, sure, Dad, just whatever you want. I mean, this is tough. We've never gone through this. We don't know what it's going to be like, so whatever you want. So... My mom digresses down, and hospice comes in, and um, so they get, they, my dad asked me to come up and meet the hospice, hospice people, and so I come up, and, and the head hospice woman, Margie, she gets a hold of me, and she says, can I talk to you outside? I'm like, yeah, sure, and she goes, I don't know anything about you or your family, but we're a, a Christ-centered, faith-based hospice. And I'm just sitting there. I, I'm poker face. I'm like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And regardless of what you think, this is how we're going to treat your folks. I'm like, well, what did my parents say about that? They'll accept that. That's, they're okay with that. She and this woman was awesome. She ended up being the, the uh, pastor's wife at Messiah Lutheran. God, awesome. Anyway, so... All of a sudden, my mom and dad are asking about God every time I come over. What about this and what about that? And I'm like, well, and they're real cerebral people. And I, I skipped a generation, I guess, but <laughs> I'm not technically related either. So I start giving them C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity and some of those books like that, and they're just gobbling it up, and they're making notes and in the margins, and they're asking me these really heady questions and stuff like that. And my mom passes away, and there's eight at her funeral. There's eight of us at her, and my dad was just freaking out. They've been married 54 years. I mean, they, they, 
centered their life around themselves and around um, learning and um, reading and stuff like that. And they were just, he was just lost. He was adrift. And so, of course, the men always fall apart when the women in our lives go away. So he was in the hospital six times in a year. Every other month, he was in the hospital for pneumonia, and then he coughing so hard he had a hernia and all this. So at this time, we'd had some pretty frank uh, conversations about Jesus. And um, so he comes out of surgery, and one time for a hernia repair, he just had the conscious sedation thing. And I'm like, Dad, you know, you're not going to make it one of these times. You're an old man. You're going to die one of these times. That's the compassion in me. Me and Cliff are kindred spirits. But that's the relationship that I had with my dad because he's a World War II guy, a tough guy, submarines in, in the South Pacific. You know, his life was in danger the entire time he was in the South Pacific in World War II. And he, and, and he goes, well, I know that. And I'm like, well, why do you keep saying no to God? And he goes, oh, Dick, I'm not saying no to God. And I'm like, you're not saying yes. <laughs> And he, he teared up, and my dad doesn't tear up, and he said, Dick, I don't know how. And I'm like, oh, I can help you with that. And I got to lead my dad to the Lord at 80 in a hospital room. And I'm driving away. Oh, it's, it's God. It's because, yeah, I'll take that applause. Because I had given up praying for my parents years ago. Because it's, they told me to get away. They, he wrote me a letter. I appreciate your faith in God, but leave us alone. I mean, I still have the letter. I didn't show it back to him. I should have. In the hospital room. See? Um, but um, I'd given up praying for my mom and my dad. Because it was such a lost cause. It was so hopeless. And... I was just so disgusted, but then I was so happy. But then I'm like, God, is this real? As I'm driving away from the hospital, is this, is, what, did that just happen? Is this real? And my dad came alive. He started serving over at Messiah Lutheran. He joined the Lutheran church because he grew up Catholic, and he thought that was the most opposite of Catholic there was. <laughs> Seriously, he told me that. Martin Luther and the Pope. I appreciate that because he was really messed up as far as his religion growing up, obviously. So, and my dad just came alive and he became it in, in the senior adult group. And he would take all the, the older folks around that couldn't drive. And he volunteered at this hospice talking to dying people about Jesus. And the last four years of his life, I'd call him up, and I'm like, hey, you want to go have lunch this week? Well, I'm pretty tied up this week. Uh, I might have an opening next week. What? You're 82 years old. What's going on? Um, so anyway, um, in John uh, 15, um, Jesus writes that I am the... John 15, 5, I'm the vine and you are the branches. If a man 
remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that's thrown away and withers, and such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it'll be given to you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. It's to God's glory that we, that we bear much fruit, showing ourselves, showing, not telling, showing ourselves to be uh, God's disciples. Um, James, in James 2, 14, he said, James writes, What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save him? He's really serious about us showing ourselves to be his disciples, not earning there's, there's just something to this. It, is it up to me to have that supernatural relationship with God? Um, in Ephesians 5, 18, uh, Paul writes, Be filled with the Spirit. And it's a command. That's not a suggestion. He says, be filled with the Spirit. That's, that's on us. Be filled with the Spirit. And... I always thought being filled with the Spirit is studying more, and, and being filled with the Spirit is God getting more of me rather than me getting more of God. It's me yielding my life more to what Scripture tells us that God wants us to be. Us giving ourselves more to God. Um, and the older I get... I'm getting up there, um, and I got super high mileage, so <laughs> the model year is not looking good. Um, most of my mileage is off-road, so it's just really dinged up this body pretty bad. We were just talking about that, weren't we, Hank? Anyway, we used to talk about adventure and taking the hill, now we talk about, oh, I'm getting a knee replacement there, sir. <laughs> You know, if you use that fiber one, it's pretty good stuff. <laughs> what happened to the romance of taking the hill? Anyway, um, in, almost, in almost all the cases nowadays, I kind of know the right thing to do. There's not a lot of mystery on right thing to do, wrong thing to do. Um, I mean, there's a few things through Water 4 that are, that are perplexing, like, we had, a, we had a deal where we were going to go drill well in a village, um, and the witch doctor wanted it on his land. And we're like, no, we're not going to put it on your land. And he's like, well, then I'm going to curse this whole village. And, and the people got super scared because the witch doctor was... So these people desperately needed water. Do we put it on the witch doctor's land? Do we not? I mean, that's tough. That's hand-wringing. That's tough stuff. I don't know what they ended up doing on it. I just heard about it. So, um, so when I when I mess up, um, it's pretty much I'm not paying attention. Just not paying attention, wandering out into the street, or it's being lazy and selfish. Um, it's just too much effort to do the right thing. It's too much. 
It's like that painting of of Michelangelo where God's reaching out and I... <laughs> it's too... God's reaching... Or, or I'm just being flat out disobedient. It's one of those three things that I'm not paying attention, I'm lazy, or I'm just flat out disobedient. And I know the right thing to do, I ain't doing it. And that's kind of where I, where I am right now, and I don't think that's necessarily living that way when you're doing things wrong. In, in the Micah the prophet, in Micah 6, 8, Micah writes, He has shown you, O man of God, what is, what is good, and what does he require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's these, these passages encouraging us to walk humbly with our God to do the right thing, to encourage us to do the right thing. Matthew Henry, who was a, a preacher who lived, he was born in 1622, so apparently that's the 17th century. <laughs> Which doesn't make any sense. Should be the 16th century. Anyway, Matthew Henry, who was born in 1622, he, he writes, there are but two ways, right or wrong, good and evil. In the one or the other, all are walking. There is no middle place. Woo! What? Let's not read him anymore. <laughs> there are but two ways, right and wrong, good and evil. In the one or the other, all are walking. There is no middle place. He's saying that's binary. That we're either living our life right for God or not. In, in the, in, when you boil this down to the moment that we're in right now, we're either living correctly or we're not. And I think we're probably good being here at Crossing, so I think, I think we're thumbs up right now. Wait till we go outside. Um, Oswald Chambers writes that if we've received the Holy Spirit, God expects the work of the Holy Spirit to be exhibited in us. That if we've received the Holy Spirit, God expects the work of the Holy Spirit to be exhibited in us. Remember, he's imploring us to be filled with the Spirit. Um, when John's writing about in Revelations, when he's on the island of Patmos, and he's writing about the church in Laodicea, which is in Turkey, he's saying, be hot or be cold because you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Remember that one? And I, ne I never did understand that. I'm like, he's so he's saying... I'm assuming be hot for Jesus or be cold, go away. But that's not what he means. Um, the, in, in this place in Turkey, there's hot springs. So you get in the hot springs. Ah, oh, feels good. And then you get thirsty, so you take a cold drink of water. Either one of those is good. Be hot or be cold. They have therapeutic value. But if where the two streams meet, where the hot springs overflows with the cold water, it becomes lukewarm, and that's not good for anything. So he's, he's imploring us, be useful. In, in one or the other, all are walking. There is no middle place. If I take a, if I take a time off, okay, I'm going to take some time off from Jesus because this is just too hard, and I'm just going to be buoyant. I'm going to be neutral. Well, there is no, there is, there, you can't do that. You're, it, you'll drift away. It takes constant energy, what we're doing here this morning, 
to come and continue that, that personal relationship with Jesus. So today, what am, what am I going to choose to do with my time and my talent and my treasure today? Um, if I choose little or nothing, uh, is God going to hate me for that? I don't think so. Um, our behavior is not a condition of God's love. He loves us unconditionally. So, he, and he loves me and you beyond imagination. Remember, we started this with Paul wanting us to have the power to grasp how much God loves us and how much he cares for us. So if I bow up and become disobedient today, am I out? You're out. You're gone. Um, there's no way. Am I, if I become disobedient, am I going to be con condemned to hell? No. Um, th there's no way. Our obedience um, is, is not for God. Contrary to what you may think, you're not doing God a solid by coming here this morning. Okay? Hey, God, bump fist, came to church, did you solid. I'm there. I'm on your team. That's not how it works. Our obedience is for us. Our, our obedience, when we look to God and we walk in obedience with God, that's for us. And he wants us to continue to seek that out for us. Remember, the glory of God is man fully alive. And the only way that I know to be fully alive is to have that continuing, rich, great relationship with God, even when we're messing up. When you mess up, you don't run away from God. You, you say, I messed up. This was terrible. This was awful. And that's the, that's the provision that God made for us to be right back in relationship with him. It's when we mess up and we go, well, I, I really didn't. Uh, and that was really their fault. And uh, it's not when we start making excuses, that's when we start getting away from God. There are but two ways. Remember Matthew Henry, right and wrong, good and evil, and the one or the other, all are walking. There is no middle place. So God wants us to lean in, especially when we sin. Oswald Chambers, I think, said this quote, that the only thing that we can really give God is our sin. That's the only thing that we can really give him. Because he's kind of got everything since he created us. So the only thing that we really can give him is when we mess up, is, is to give him our sin. Um, in, in John 14, uh, Jesus writes, um, If you love me, you'll obey what I command. And I'll ask the Father, and he'll give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I'll come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will, but you will see me because I live. You will also live. On that day, you will realize that I... I'm in my Father, and you are in me, 
and I am in you. Whoever has my commandments and obeys them, he's the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and reveal myself to him. He wants us to keep seeking him every day with, with enthusiasm um, until the day we die. This doesn't taper off, I'm finding out as I'm getting older. This intensifies the older that we get, this relationship with God. And it should intensify because we have the benefit of living through my boneheadness when I was 19 years old. And I lived and, and given God an ultimatum. And I lived. Um, so this should intensify this close relationship with God the older we get. This seeking God, this, this maturity, this, this learning about him the seeking the Holy Spirit every single day as we get up. And when we mess up, know to make that right with God immediately. So when I, when I don't obey, I'm the one getting gypped. When, when I choose not to do something that I know I should do, I'm the one getting gypped out of that deal. I'm, it's not God. I'm the one um, by my lack of saying yes. I'm the one getting, you know, messed around by that. So, really important question to understand about ourselves is how far would you like to go with Jesus? We have to understand that about ourselves. I think we need to... So. Cliff always wants us to do application, specific and measurable. One other that I forgot. Anyway, um, how this week, answer that question. How far would you like to go with Jesus? I think it's a great question. I mean, the older I get, I want to go all the way. I want, I want to go all the way, whatever that means. I want to go all the way with my relationship with Jesus, and I want to finish well. Um, and it's, this is entirely up to me and you um, on how far we want to go. How, how do we want to order our lives so that we can keep saying yes to Jesus, that we can keep saying yes to him? How, how can I order my life so that I can, so that I can do that? Because that's what, that's what I really want. So this week, I will, uh, write that down. How far would I really like to go with Jesus? Or don't write it down. Anyway, because um, that's what I do. When Cliff says, write that down, I'm just... Um, answer that question. How far would you like to go with Jesus? And keep evaluating that. This week, next week, how far would I like to go? And then what's the proof of that? What's the proof that you're wanting? I'm, I'm assuming most of us will say pretty far. Well, what's the proof of that? What are we doing in our lives to order our lives so that we can continue to say yes to Jesus? Um, and it is entirely up to us. There's a, um, there's a passage in Matthew chapter 7 
where Jesus um, says, uh, 7, 7, 7, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened to him. So we're knocking. We're seeking. That's on us. You know, that's, that's on us. We need to ask. We need to seek. We need to knock. And then an interesting deal in uh, Revelation 320, Revelation is at the end of the Bible. 320, he says, this is Jesus talking, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him, and he will, with, and he will eat with me. <laughs> Jesus is on the other side of the door on that one. Remember, knock and the door shall be opened. Jesus is standing at the door and knocking, but the action that's similar in both cases is we're walking towards Jesus. In both of those cases, we're making a move to Jesus, either opening the door, well, hello, Jesus, come on in, or it's like, hey, I'm out here, I'm knocking. Either way, we're pointing ourselves towards Jesus, and that's, and that's what he's expecting, that's what he's wanting us to do. Um. And when he stands at the door and knocks, um, we can easily keep him outside. You just don't answer the door. So, this week, um, choose seeking Jesus. Choose this life. It's entirely up to us to have this supernatural relationship with Jesus. It's entirely up to us to keep saying yes uh, to God. And so tomorrow, today, uh, when that choice comes, and it will come, um, pray that the Holy Spirit will lead us to life because that's the tool that we've been given. We have that free gift of the Holy Spirit that we can pray to lead us into life, to lead us into saying yes with him. Um. There's a um, book by Mark Batterson called Chase the Lion. He's a guy that writes books. And um, <laughs> see him just like Cliff now. See, there's a book. But I read, non, uh, I read fiction, he reads nonfiction. Anyway, Mark Batterson writes in this book, um, in every dream journey, there comes a moment when you have to quit living life as if the purpose of life is to arrive safely at death. In every dream journey, there comes a moment when you have to quit living life as if the purpose of life is to arrive safely at death. You have to go after a dream that is destined to fail without divine intervention. Don't you like that? This week, how far? How far do you want to go with God? What, how far do you want to go? Answer that, and you guys will have a fantastic week, or you have a horrible week. It's one of the two. <laughs> Let's pray, and we'll go away. Father, we're just grateful for your grace and your mercy and how you take care of us and how you've made such great provision for us to have relationship with you. We are so enthusiastic that 
that you've done that and that you want us to have abundant life and that you want us to know about you and learn about you until the day we draw our last breath. You want us to keep that close relationship with you, and I just thank you for that. And I pray, Lord, that as we go this week, that you'll help us answer that question of how far we want to go with you. And then put the proof out there to us, Lord, that, we were, that we're ordering our life in a way that proves that we want to go that far with you. We just love you and we praise you. Lord, I pray for Deidre as she preaches, Lord, that uh, your Holy Spirit would touch us through what she has to say for us. Thank you for this church. Thank you for Cliff and Becky and what they mean to us. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a good week.